City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. It's important to realize that the torment will never stop. It is eternal. Jesus said that in Matthew 25, verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If we believe that life in heaven is eternal, then we must take it at face value that when Jesus spoke of eternal punishment, that that is just as eternal. See, part of the utter agony of hell is knowing that the suffering will never stop. It'll never cease. It is nearly incomprehensible to the human mind that eternity will have no end, no end to the joys of heaven, and no end to the sufferings of hell. Everything we know and have experienced had a beginning and will have an end. To just go on and on and on and on and on, well, it's outside of our human experience. Someone has likened eternity to a dove flying past a steel ball of four inches in diameter every thousand years, and its wing brushes the ball as it passes. When the steel ball is completely worn away, eternity will have just begun. For the unbelievers who are in the place of torment, the lake of fire, it will be unimaginable pain and suffering. Welcome to Verse by Verse. While the topic of this concluding study on the parable of the fishing net is not a happy one, everyone needs to know the truth of Scripture and of the words Jesus spoke. Hell is a real place, and it will be populated by real people. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel has been leading us in a series of classes on the parables recorded in Matthew chapter 13. These were given by Jesus to his disciples to help them understand the nature of the kingdom he was establishing on earth. They have been very helpful to us in understanding the events unfolding in our present day and about how his kingdom will come to pass. Thanks for joining the class today. Here now is Pastor Steve. Now the third important question that we want to ask is this. Is this separation of the wicked from the righteous something that is irreversible and permanent. That is to say, once the separation has taken place, is there any time for someone to, to change and trust Christ and so avoid judgment? And the answer is no. No. Once this separation begins, the judgment that it leads to is permanent and irreversible. Just as the separation in the dragnet of the bad fish from the good fish is permanent, so the separation of the wicked from the righteous is permanent too. That is to say, once Christ returns and the angels start separating unbelievers from believers, divine judgment is certain and it is inescapable. Once again, I'd like you to look at another passage in Matthew. Now, Matthew chapter 24. And actually, this is a very misunderstood section. Uh, even after giving this, uh, this message in the morning, somebody came to me and said, but I, I was taught otherwise. Well, let me tell you what, what I think this is about. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36, Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father. 
For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So Jesus is talking, understand, the context here is at the end of the tribulation. He's talking about his return. He's the Son of Man. He said, it'll be very similar when I come back to what happened in the days of Noah. The days of Noah refer to the flood, the universal flood, global flood. And here he explains, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, let's stop here for a moment and say what Jesus is talking about is not wickedness on the earth, although it is true that that people will be wicked at that point. but What he's talking about is life went on as usual until judgment came. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. That's certainly fine. There's nothing wrong with marrying and giving in marriage. He's not talking about wicked behavior. Now he's talking about before the flood came, people lived their lives as if there was no judgment. Life continued as it always had, but then suddenly the judgment of the flood came. He said, that's the way it's going to be when I return. People will be living their lives. They'll be eating. They'll be drinking, carrying on the normal routines of life. Some people will be getting married. They'll be having parties about marriage, banquets, and then I'll come. Now, notice this. Verse 40. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. A common view of this is that this is the rapture. This is not the rapture. This is the end of the tribulation. The rapture has taken place seven years prior to this. This is judgment. What Jesus is saying is that when he returns, there'll be a separating of people, believers and unbelievers. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, meaning one will be taken off to judgment because he's an unbeliever. And one will be left to enter into the kingdom on earth. Likewise, two women will be grinding At the mill, they'd just be doing their own thing. One will be taken, because why? She was an unbeliever. The angels have separated her from this other person who is a believer, and one will be left. The person who will be left is a believer left on the earth. So this is not the rapture. This is judgment, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the parable. The angels will separate them. One will be taken. One will be left. Once Jesus returns, unbelievers will be taken away from the earth in judgment. Believers will be left then on the earth to enter into the millennial kingdom. So what Christ is saying is just as the flood brought certain judgment on all unbelievers on the earth in the days of Noah, so his return will bring certain judgment on all unbelievers as they will be separated from believers and then removed from the earth. So it's critical for us to understand that what we do with Jesus Christ now during these days will determine our eternal destiny. To receive him as our king today means salvation from his eternal wrath tomorrow and forever. But to continue to disregard him means that you will experience the certainty of his eternal wrath. Now, you may think that the concepts of divine judgment and wrath are just irrelevant doctrines. If you're an unbeliever, that's probably what you do think. Just an irrelevant doctrine that preachers just use to scare people to 
pray to receive Christ. But no one, you might think, is ever going to experience real judgment like this. You might think life just isn't like that. We're free to do whatever we want, go wherever we, we, we please to go, and no one is ever going to catch us like we're fish in a net. That's just fanciful thinking. But here's something that one Bible teacher wrote that gives us a much more accurate explanation of the freedom that unbelievers think that they experience. Listen to this. He writes, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. The net moves through the world unseen. When the net touches the back of a fish, the creature simply swims a little further ahead of it, enjoying what appears to be permanent freedom. Men move about in this world imagining themselves to be free, fulfilling their own desires with little knowledge that the net of judgment is coming closer and closer. Each time men are touched by the net, they move a little further along. Eventually, they'll find themselves hitting the part of the net in front of them. They'll make a wild dash to escape, yet find themselves totally surrounded by the net. Finally, they'll be dragged onto the shore, flailing as they enter death. Men may not see God moving in the world, but he is moving. When they are touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ or become scared by the threat of judgment, they dart away into the freedom they think is ahead of them. But sooner or later, they'll find that they are still caught in the net that is moving them toward judgment. The kingdom will ultimately engulf all men and God will separate them with his angels. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that ought to be a chilling statement for you chilling because of its reality, but that is exactly what it, what Jesus is talking about. And so we learn from our Lord that judgment for the unsaved is inevitable. The question is then, then what will that judgment entail? In other words, after the angels remove the wicked from the righteous, what will happen next to the wicked? Well, that's exactly what Jesus proceeds to reveal as he explains in verse 50, the nature of the judgment that will be experienced by all unbelievers, notice verse 50, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is telling us that once the angels separate unbelievers from believers, the first thing they're going to do under the direction of Christ is throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, which is a reference to hell. This isn't the only time that Jesus spoke of hell as being a place of fire. He spoke of it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. In fact, we looked at it before, but let me repeat it again. Jesus said, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus gave a story about an um, unbeliever who went to hell, and it was a place of torment and fire. Is this literal fire as we know it? Maybe. But if it is, then it certainly won't function exactly like fire does today on earth, because the flames from fire on earth today always result in brightness and illumination. But the Bible teaches that hell will be a place of complete darkness not a place where there's any light. In fact, there are several stories that Jesus spoke about a king and his servant, and the wicked servant for punishment was thrown out, Jesus said, into outer darkness. That is a picture of hell, he being the king, throwing someone out into outer darkness. And in Jude, verse 13, we are explicitly and specifically told about 
hell being eternally dark. We read, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever, forever. See, those in hell will never see light again, ever. They will forever experience suffering alone in complete darkness with no one else around them forever. No no one should ever think that hell is going to be a great place because there you'll get to be with your friends and party and it'll be just endless sin and rebellion and and you and the devil be having a great time there. It's not like that at all. There won't be any parties in hell. You'll be alone as you suffer forever. Jesus went on in verse 50 to refer to the utter misery that unbelievers will endure in hell by saying in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, hell will be a place where people will cry out in agony as they grind their teeth because of the intensity of their pain. It's important to realize that the torment will never stop. It is eternal. Jesus said that in Matthew 25, verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If we believe that life in heaven is eternal, then we must take it at face value that when Jesus spoke of eternal punishment, that that is just as eternal. See, part of the utter agony of hell is knowing that the suffering will never stop. It'll never cease. There might be some comfort, we could say, in experiencing this torment if we would know that it would eventually come to an end, say in maybe a few thousand years or maybe maybe a million years, but it won't. It will never, ever cease. There was a man by the name of Sir Francis Newport, an unbeliever who during his lifetime ridiculed Christianity. He's reported to have said these horrifying words on his deathbed about the eternality of hell. Oh, that I was to lie a thousand years upon the fire that never is quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years would bring me no nearer to the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity, forever and ever. Oh, the insufferable pains of hell. That is to say that after millions and millions and millions and billions of years, we will never fully pay in hell the price of our sin. That's how wicked and deep our sin might be. And I want to just address that before we close our thoughts on hell. I think it's important to address the question, why is hell such a horrible, unimaginable, endless punishment. Why does God punish unbelievers forever? Why, why not just for a few years? Why doesn't he just annihilate them as some teach? Why not just do that? The answer lies in understanding that all and any sin against God is an infinite, endless, and immeasurable offense. You can't pay all of your sins in hell. It's that significant. Why? Because God's nature is so infinitely holy perfect, and just. In other words, infinite sin against an infinitely righteous God deserves an infinite penalty, and that penalty is hell. We can't comprehend how holy God is. To sin against the infinitely holy God deserves an infinite punishment. That punishment goes on and on forever. Sin is really not an issue to be trifled with. It is a crime whose penalty is eternal death and torment. 
However, the good news is no one needs to experience hell. You can experience heaven, the bliss of heaven, by simply repenting of your sin and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because Christ's death paid the eternal cost of the sins of those who would trust in him. Paid. And that's really why Jesus told his disciples this parable of the fishing net to begin with, to impress upon them and impress upon us the responsibility to call unbelievers to himself during this present age so that sinners can escape the coming judgment at the end of the age. Folks, that's the point of it. He was telling the disciples and us, we have a responsibility because the message of the king is the only message that can save someone from this horrible, horrible fate. In fact, Jesus closed this entire section on parables by making sure that his disciples understood their responsibility in passing on all these parable truths to others. Notice what he said in verses 51 and 52. Now, the parable is over. These are his concluding comments after he's given all the parables. He says, have you understood all these things? Which is a great question. And they said to him, yes. And Jesus said to to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, what do you mean by this? Well, after giving his disciples their last parable, the Lord asked him, asked them if if they understood all that he had taught uh, on these parables. And they said, yes, which is a very curious response because you and I know these men didn't understand at this point all these things, but they said yes. Uh, later on in Christ's ministry, we see that in some respects, they didn't have a clue as to what was going on, but they said yes. And probably they understood some things, but their understanding was very limited, but they didn't want to admit that. At least we know they thought that they understood all that he said, and Jesus knew exactly what they understood. But based on their response, the Lord told them that they had a responsibility of imparting these parable truths to others. That's what he means, folks, in verse 52, when he says that they will now be just like official Jewish scribes. What was the scribe? He said, you'll, you'll be like a scribe. The scribe in Israel's job was to teach the people God's word. In fact, a Jewish scribe was an official interpreter and teacher of Judaism. That's what he was. And people recognized that. He was the official, one just one person, there were a number of them. They were the official interpreters and teachers of the word of God. Jesus is saying, you now, you disciples, will also be just like that because you will be my apostles who will be given authority as the official teachers of God's people. That is what the apostles became. These men became the apostles, and we actually continue, as we study the New Testament, in apostolic doctrine. The apostles were given the authority. They wrote down the words of Christ. More was revealed to them, and that's why we study the New Testament, because apostolic doctrine is the official teaching from Christ to his scribes who became the apostles. But not only did Jesus say his men would be like Jewish scribes, the official teachers. But notice in verse 52, he said that they would also be like the heads of households. What do you mean by that? Who brought out of their treasures things new and old. See, in Jewish families, the head of each household was responsible to provide for his family by giving them supplies like food and clothing and anything else they needed. They didn't just take, it was his responsibility to give it to them. And he kept these things in a container, a treasure, 
sometimes the food and clothing were reusable, and they would then be returned to the container to be used again another day. Now, Jesus said that his apostles would function like the heads of households in the sense that it would be their responsibility to supply God's family with spiritual truths. Watch this. He said both old truths from what we call what? The Old Testament. But also new things, new truths, which make up what? The New Testament. In other words, Jesus is telling the apostles that they will eventually be the official Bible teachers to the church as they dispense old revelation, things that were already proclaimed and revealed, the Old Testament, but also new revelation, the New Testament, which would include the truths he's just taught them in the parables, truths that he said were a mystery. Nobody else had ever known them before, but it's been entrusted to them. Now, out of your container of truth, dispense it to God's people. Now, you and I are obviously not apostles, but we are his disciples, and therefore we still, by way of application, have a responsibility to tell people the truths that we have learned from these parables. So you have been sitting here week after week taking in these truths. You have a responsibility to tell others about them, and that certainly includes telling them about their need to repent and trust Christ, or else they will end up in this horrible place the Bible calls hell. So that's what we learn from this. That's what we take from this, and we ought to be motivated to witness more fervently and passionately. If you're still, though, not a, a believer, then I urge you to become one, to heed this warning, to turn to Christ for salvation before God's net drags you to judgment. Because if you don't repent and turn to Christ, and he comes back, it's over for you. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, while there is still time, I pray for those who have heard your word today and don't know you, I pray for them to turn to you. I realize that there are some who attend here and listen to the messages and yet have never turned to you as their king and savior. Lord, I pray that this this message about the sobering truth concerning hell and judgment will be used by you to awaken their dead hearts and bring them to Christ before it's too late. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us who know you to be motivated to witness. We realize that this is not the only motivation that drives us to proclaim the gospel, but it is a it's an important one. May our heart break for the lost and what awaits them unless they turn to Christ. May our hearts break enough that we would do all things to get the gospel to others. Lord, we, most of us could say we have relatives, family, close friends who don't know Christ. We pray for them. Bring them, we ask to yourself. Use us, use others. And may the Holy Spirit draw them to Christ. May they see their lost condition, the seriousness of their sin, and may they see Christ as that treasure and pearl of great price that they would surrender anything in order to obtain. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining Verse by Verse today. Your gifts and prayers for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Verse by Verse is an outreach of Lakeside Community Chapel located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. 
You may listen to this message again and many others by visiting our website at versebyverseradio.org. While there, you may sign up for our free podcasting service as well as the free quarterly newsletter. We have been offering a free copy of Pastor Steve's newly released book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd. This 207-page paperback book contains some of the best of Pastor Steve's sermons from the past 30 years. It can be yours when you send a contribution of any amount to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can donate online at versebyverseradio.org or call us at 727-239-0306. I know you will be blessed as you read these landmark sermons given by Pastor Steve, and your gift will help keep this program on the air. In our next program, Pastor Steve will begin a sermon on the rejection of Jesus Christ 